Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm Michael Fragan on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, JM in the AM.org. And thank you for joining us here on another lovely Thursday evening. And we are proud to be sponsored by Seasons Supermarkets. Seasons located in Kew Garden Hills, 68-18 Main Street. 1066 Wilmot Road in Scarsdale, New York, and on the west side, upper west side, at 661 Amsterdam Avenue, are all open. And the Lawrence store under construction, and the construction is moving along. You can email your orders. They make deliveries all day, 516-295-3300, or email to lawrenceorders at seasonsny.com. And if you're in Kew Garden Hills, stop in for Mechis Cholens, open until midnight. So, the big news we had a little promo this morning on the JM and the AM show, and uh, we certainly promised to talk for the good portion of this hour, and we'll see uh, how much we can uh, understand and get past it. Is the big news is the politics in New Jersey. That's that state right across the Hudson River, and we get to them every so often. There's always a lot of interesting stuff uh, going on in New Jersey. A lot of Jews in New Jersey as well, so that uh, we have that angle to deal with. And uh, tonight we have a number of guests that are going to give us some insight into what's been going on. As you probably well know, the death of Senator Frank Lautenberg at age 89, who served two stints in the Senate and uh, you know missed the Senate so much after retiring the first time that he came back under interesting circumstances and uh, decided uh, that he was going to serve and perhaps uh, he was going to serve until age 90. And then maybe at one point, about a year ago, thought maybe he was going to run for another term. So, uh, But he didn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, Frank Lautenberg may rest in peace, a World War II vet. And uh, I think the last of the World War II vets in the Senate ha- is now, uh, as uh, was said at the rabbi at his funeral, uh, into the eternal embrace of God. I think that was very nice and poetic. And uh, But what Frank Lautenberg did in his death was uh, create a mad scramble in the New Jersey, upcoming New Jersey elections. This week is a gubernatorial year in New Jersey. It's also a year when the entire state legislature is elected. And we're also gearing up for a 2014 race for New Jersey Senate with some marquee names like Cory Booker, Newark Mayor Cory Booker, and possibly Frank Pallone, and now another congressman, Rush Holtz. And there's a lot of people trying to get in there. So helping us to understand it all, we have first up Alex Habib, and Alex is a New Jersey expert out there and a, a rising star in New Jersey politics, as well as a member of NJTV's political roundtable. He served in the state assembly, and he's coming off a very successful stint in the campaign for mayor of Jersey City, and I'll let him talk about that in a second. Alex, welcome to Spin Class. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, I should also say that Alex is uh, is uh, currently uh, housed at Beckerman Public Relations, a, a fine firm uh, located uh, in uh, Hackensack, New York City, uh, San Francisco, and elsewhere. So, uh, so Alex, let's get right right into it. Uh, Chris Christie had a big week. It's sad to kind of trade on the on the demise of, of Frank Lautenberg, but uh, I guess uh, Chris Christie finds his way every so often into the into the spotlight. Oh, he certainly does, and and you know, like everything Chris Christie does, it's always about himself. Uh, you know, he found an easy way out of an otherwise uh, dicey political situation uh, by calling for the special election. 
you know, uh, don't be fooled here. You know, the, the governor is a master chess player, and, and that's something that, you know, uh, from a purely political standpoint, it's something even Democrats can admire, where, you know, his moves are incredibly calculated. Um, he's thought this out, how I think, very thoroughly. Um, you know, and I don't suspect the governor would have called for a special election had he not thought the law would be on his side. Um, but, you know, and, and as a Democrat, I can tell you, you know, there is a little bit of political genius in what the governor has done. Um, you know, he, he not only had, does he escape sharing a ballot with Cory Booker in November, he pits Democrats in a primary against each other and forces the party to not only split its financial resources, but its political capital um, and, its, and its base. You know, uh, Democrats in New Jersey have had a hard time uniting behind Barbara Buono. Um, you know, despite the, the image that the, the state party is trying to put out, the reality is that Democrats are still reluctant to stand behind her full-throated, 100%, I'm with Barbara Buono. Um, what this does is it takes away and it prolongs the inevitable effect of Democrats lining up behind Buono just for the sake of her being a Democrat. It actually prolongs this much further and further um, in a way that, you know, he's, he's really set the Democrats into a frenzy, um, and he's caused them to fight each other, uh, you know, and, his, and just today he's appointed – uh, his uh, attorney general, Jeff Keiza, uh, to, to fill the seat um, with the notion that this gentleman isn't going to be running uh, in the primary, nor is he going to be um, seeking this seat in the future. He's just doing it to fill the seat. So the governor really has had a, a stellar week politically. Um, you know, he gets Democrats fighting each other. He gets his Senate pick. He sends a Republican to the Senate. Uh, to tighten up that margin in Washington, and overall, you know, he's he comes out on top. So let's so, clarify for a second now. So the Governor Christie had three options. He could have made an appointment and left the seat, uh, left that appointee into the seat until the 2014 elections, and I think that's what a lot of Republicans in Washington wanted him to do because that would have ensured that a Republican would have held that seat. And as as we all know, the control of the Senate is always very tenuous and always up for grabs. Uh, he could have also set a special election for Election Day, meaning November 4th, although I think he disputed the fact that he was able to – whether he was able to do that or not. I think he said that he wasn't able to actually call the election for Election Day. Or he could have – the third choice is what he in fact did. I'm there in no particular order. The third choice – what he actually did was to say that uh, the there will be a special election in mid-October and with a primary uh, uh, several weeks earlier, and uh, that's, that's in fact what he went with. And you're telling me as a Democrat, as a Democratic uh, political strategist, that this was a uh, – you know, this was win-win for Chris Christie. Um, so let me ask you: Does he does he have anything to fear from Republicans who he, who in his own party he didn't do right by them? No, you know, I well, I mean, I, th- I think there's twofold, right? The governor has uh, almost an unshakable reputation within the state of New Jersey between independents and Republicans. So what he did bode well for him locally. Um, nationally, however, you know, and I don't know how well I buy into that notion that, you know, he's damaged his brand nationally where you, know, you get these Republicans from the, the, the National Republican Senate Committee um, and the, the, the congressional caucus or the congressional arms, uh, political arms of the Republican Party, um, really sort of upset with him because, I mean, at the end of the day, right, he still gives him a Republican senator. But I think he, you know, given his brand of, uh, of smash-mouth politics, the governor doesn't, 
this governor doesn't really give the Republicans much room to argue because, look, the state is overwhelmingly Democrat. You know, this was this, this is this is analogous to what happened in Massachusetts with with, uh, with with Senator Brown. You know, you have a Republican senator and a overwhelmingly Democratic state. You can't realistically expect to expend uh, political resources and, and scarce political resources from the Republican side to hold on to a seat that's inevitable that you would just have a natural disadvantage in. So I think what the governor has done is he, he's preparing himself to make the argument that, like, look. Republicans can never hold this seat again in New Jersey because there is just a natural political disadvantage. Um, and I think the governor just sort of put a stamp of approval on it by saying, you know, this seat can go to whoever, he, you know, he doesn't care who it goes to. Um, it goes, it can go to a Democrat and go to a Republican. Uh, he has no problem sticking to taxpayers with the bill either. You know, you have to remember this governor vetoed a $25 million bill and prevented early voting from occurring in the state of New Jersey. Yet, he just authorized two special elections, a primary and a general election, for $24 million. So, you know, the governor really kind of has to make up his mind here if he's okay with if the state's broke or if the state's not broke. Um, you know, it, it's always been about what's politically expedient for him. And, again, I think he does win, right? He sends a Republican to Washington. He gets the Democrats to fight each other. Um, and at the end of the day, the Democrats take that seat back anyway. So he's looking out for number one. I think that you're making that very clear. As far yeah, as yeah, I, I think he, I absolutely think he's looking out for number one. No, and, nothing wrong with um, that in politics. I, that, I, no, I mean, I guess in, in the political sense, there's nothing wrong with that, especially when the law is on your side on this. I mean, this is something that if a taxpayer really asks the question, you know, why are we having two special elections at, 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 with a price tag of twenty-four million dollars? They're going to scratch their head and say his other option was to just appoint somebody and not call for a special election or to consolidate it um, and put it on the November ballot. But then again, the law pro provides that the governor can call for a special election whenever he wants. So why are Democrats in such disarray in New Jersey? New Jersey is a, I mean, it's a fertile state. It's been for quite some time for uh, for Democrats, and somehow they've elected a ever an incredibly popular Republican governor. But there's also a lot of discord between Democrats in New Jersey. It's geographic, North versus South, and then there's you know all kinds of different divides amongst the different some of the different members. Even Frank Lautenberg a couple of back years ago when he ran last time had a primary challenge from Rob Andrews. So why are Democrats in disarray in New Jersey? You know, I think. Um... Uh, it's an unfortunate case of fratricide when, you know, for, you've controlled government for so long. Um, and that's not to say that this is only a Democratic problem. I mean, you go to some of the Republican parts of the state, too, and they do the same thing to each other. Um, when you're the only game in town, if you will, or if you're the majority shareholder of the, of the political capital in the state, uh, it inevitably is going to happen where you get Democrats that, you know, say they're Democrats, but um, you know, they're, not, they're never going to win as a Republican if they ran. So what do they do? They try to seek power within the party. Um, you know, it just so happens that the Democrats, you know, outnumber Republicans pretty significantly in the state of New Jersey. So, you know, when it comes to state politics, they're they're very much um, fighting each other because it's a matter of how many Democratic votes, how many segments of the Democratic Party can you control for a state issue. Um, but like, you know, if you want to, if you really want to go uh, smaller, you really want to look a little more locally. You know, Republicans have very large majorities in, in Ocean and Monmouth counties, uh, and also in Morris and Sussex and some of the northwestern parts of the state and some of the western parts of the state. But 
Uh, and they did the same thing to each other there. I mean, you know, take a look at who the Republican candidates and the Republican names that have emerged for the, the primary and the Republican side for, to fill Lautenberg's seat. You have Steve Lonigan, who's like the number one protagonist um, in the Republican Party. And this is a guy who's sort of like the, the anti-establishment. He's the pro-Tea Party candidate. Um, so I think, you know, to, to say that it's only Democrats, it, I don't think it's a fair assessment. I think Republicans do it, too. But the only reason you see it so prominently displayed with Democrats is because they're the ones that control government. And I think if it was, uh, you know, if the Republicans were equal to Democrat in size in the state, you would see this problem kind of writ large with the Republicans as well. Okay, interesting. We're here with Alex Habib from Beckerman Public Relations. And, uh, Alex, you just were involved in a Democrat uh, mayoral race. Okay, yeah. uh, you, I think you helped dethrone a long-time incumbent who was supported by President Obama, that being Jeremiah Healy. Tell us a, yep. little, tell us a little bit about about that race and uh, what the the Democratic fratricide involved, as you called it. <laughs> so, yes, so, using uh, your words so, so against you. I'm sorry. As many of um, as many people know, is just right across the the river from New York City. Um, you know, when you look over and you see the mini skyline, you're likely looking at Jersey City and Hoboken. Um, you know, and Jersey City is the second largest municipality in the state of New Jersey. Uh, and for a long time, you know, Jersey City has been the power base of Hudson County, which is the power base for the Democratic Party in the state of New Jersey. So, um, you know, here we have Stephen Fulop, uh, who's, you know, been a resident of Jersey City for a while. He sort of ran off the line when he first came into office, uh, and he ran successfully um, against the machine in his own ward, which primarily made up of the, the downtown, um, the more gentr- gentrified part of the city. Um, and he held on to that seat for about eight years uh, when he decided to make the run for mayor. Um, and it's been an uphill battle where, you know, he's built very strategically. I mean, you know, not many people really take four years to run for elected office. And, you know, here's Stephen Fulop, the councilman, uh, former, you know, he's also a Marine Corps veteran. He served a tour of uh, tour in Iraq. Um, you know, he's, He's also a, a Wall Street executive, um, you know, worked in his mother and father. You know, he's a first-generation immigrant as well um, who worked in his mother and father's uh, deli in, in, in Newark. So, you know, this is a guy who has very humble beginnings and very humble roots, and he's worked his way through, through you know, through his master's, through uh, his undergrad, worked his way through college to get to where he is. And, you know, he had the unfortunate moniker of working for Goldman Sachs at one point in his career and, you know, of course, the incumbent well, Democrats totally want to make this guy feel totally that he was moniker uh, if you're a, a Democrat. type, a one percenter, which was far from far from reality. That's probably only an so, unfortunate moniker if you're a Democrat, though. I mean, I, I you know I don't know that the Goldman Sachs imprimatur is necessarily a liability uh, elsewhere. No, and it's, and it's certainly not. But I mean, in, in, in today's uh, economy, where you know you have the one percent versus the ninety-nine percent, I mean, that's it's an easy argument to make that here's a guy who worked on Wall Street. At this point, Wall Street has such a negative connotation. It's very easy to make him out to seem like he's a Republican. Sure. So how did um, he get past that? How did he get, how did he get past that type of uh, insinuation? It's, it doesn't sound dissimilar from a, a race that happened in Newark a couple of years ago. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't sound all that dissimilar. Um, so, you know, one of the things we did to get past this was, first and foremost, uh, you know, Steve built one of the – I say Steve because I know him personally, but it's actually Mayor Alex Fulop. I have to get used to calling him that. Um, you know, the Mayor Elect built – his part built his his organization throughout the city um, over the course of four years. I mean, he built it to the point where you literally had we literally had 600 volunteers across the city from very diverse sections of the city 
We have them from the African-American community. We have them from the Hispanic community. Um, we had them from sort of the old guard, the people that were, you're born and raised in Jersey City that, uh, you know, were, you, we, there was a groundswell of support, too, because for the longest time, the residents and the voters never really had a choice. It was always the machine. It was always the line. It was always um, who's been in office and the incumbent. No one who challenged the, 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 the machine really had a chance because they were challenging for the sake of challenging. No one actually brought something to the table and started pointing out the inefficiencies in our government, the, uh, the ineffectiveness of our, of our leadership. Um, and here's Steve Fulop, who took this case to the voters um, year after year after year. And, you, you know, being on the other side, when you look at what Healy and, and the establishment did, they kind of poo-pooed what he did, and then and they didn't take it too seriously because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you win three consecutive school board elections, when you win special elections for the council seats, when you start winning little battles here and there, look, you have to remember, Steve was the lone voice on a nine-member council. He slowly built a council majority of, of close to 5-4. You know, and ultimately, you know, you need that, you need the, the, the responsiveness of City Hall to get any sort of real initiative done. So he slowly built from all across the city. And I would say he built perfectly. He built alliances. He built, uh, you know, his, his base in different parts and key parts of the city and key demographics, uh, which made it very difficult and very unshakable um, to, to sort of to, 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 to combat. You know, especially when the city really relied on public employees, and this is sort of indicative of what was the problem in Jersey City, where your base was public, the, the base of the mayor was public employees and, and connected developers and politicos. Um, they weren't volunteers. They weren't people that really genuinely felt a city needed a change. And Steve was able to tap into that and to, to really uh, take control of that. So he, um, so so he, he really was uh, the, so, the, the change factor in this election. So he was very much a reformer. I think that that's, uh, that's, kind, yeah. of, that's kind of the mantle that uh, Governor Christie has tried to grab. I think that's probably the mantle that uh, Mayor Booker has tried to grab in a large degree. And a lot of places throughout New Jersey, I think uh, voters were in ser- are or were in search of reform, especially given a lot of the scandal that was out there for, you know, for, for you know, quite a bit out, out there in the last couple of years. Um, sure, and, and you know it also doesn't help that you know the, the mayor of Jer- the, the now the former mayor of Jersey City um, was on take taking a bribe, um, but was never indicted. And you know I think at the end of the day, when you show voters the video of here he is your mayor taking a bribe, uh, you know to expedite permits for development, um, you know the voters see that, and yeah, you hear about it, but it's different when you see it, and it's different when you see his reaction. And you hear him actually agree to taking the bribe. Um, okay, so we are we are here with Alex Habib, and I want to bring uh, another voice into the discussion here. We have uh, we have him on the line. Okay, we have Yitz Stern, a Democratic councilman from Teaneck, New Jersey, one of the uh, major Jewish strongholds uh, in suburban Bergen County. Uh, Yitz, uh, welcome to Spin Class. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Okay. Yitz is a long-time, uh, I'd say, given his resume that I'm looking at, expert in uh, in public uh, policy and public finance. So uh, uh, you've, you've seemed like you've uh, been around politics and government for, for quite a few years. So give us some perspective as a 
suburban Democrat. We're talking about the, the strength of Chris Christie and the relative uh, infighting amongst Democrats in New Jersey right. and how, and as Alex correctly pointed out earlier, how this special election is very likely, I mean, there's only one Democrat in the race right now, but it's very likely to cause a, a significant amount of tension and uh, and competition within the Democratic Party. Well, well, well uh, you know, just for the record, uh, Teaneck is a, a nonpartisan town. We run uh, council people in Teaneck run do not run on any party lines. Our elections are in May. We run as uh, individuals and not as these or ours. Um, I happen to be a registered Democrat. Um, but in terms of the uh, state politics, uh, while certainly the 800-pound gorilla in the room on the, on the Democratic side uh, is Cory Booker, um, uh, you know, obviously uh, uh, the governor um, uh, has done you know what he had to do. You know, politics is the science or the art of opportunity, obviously, and uh, the governor has done what he needed to do to uh, seize the opportunity that was presented to him. In terms of Cory Booker, I mean, Cory Booker's a great guy. Um, I've met him, uh, and um, I think he's the, he's the odds-on favorite to, to get the nomination. Uh, he may have a little bit of a run at it beforehand, but I suspect that he'll be the odds-on favorite. And uh, certainly, uh, you know, uh, thinking of it uh, maybe from a uh, not-so-much-political, but from a Jewish perspective, obviously we all know that Senator Lautenberg, he should rest in peace, was a very big, uh, you know, very strong uh, Jewish individual, a very, very strong proponent and supporter of the people of Israel and the state of Israel. And I think uh, what you'll find, uh, although uh, you know, I, I don't know uh, his potential primary challengers uh, just personally or just who they are just yet, but uh, Cory Booker is certainly uh, uh, right up there in terms of his support uh, for, uh, for, uh, you know, for all peoples, but particularly for the Jewish people based on his background. Very interesting. I think that, uh, Alex, do we see a significant urban-suburban divide amongst Democrats where uh, that somebody, you know, like a Cory Booker is going to do well on both sides, or is he going to do better in the suburbs? Is he going to do well in Hudson County? I mean, where where, where is his relative strength? Is he going to do well in South Jersey? You know, kind of a, give us an assessment that amongst the yeah. the divide out there. So, Does so he I'm have gonna, state, statewide I'm appeal? Yeah, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that I think Booker is going to fare well in the suburban parts of of the, of the state um, for the sole reason that, you know, he sort of has the, the, the Barack Obama effect where he's incredibly intelligent, he's incredibly articulate. You know, um, typically the, the notion has been uh, prior to Cory Booker that if you're a politician from Newark, you, you know, you're an urban politician, you're a smash-mouth sort of guy, you don't really know how to talk to certain segments of the population, um, you know, but, but Cory Booker, you know, especially when, you know, he gets asked at the DNC to come give a speech. Um, obviously, Cory Booker is well sought after to, to give speeches at um, commencement addresses and to, to speak across the country. You know, I, I think that <clears throat> at this point, um, you know, the, the urban-suburban divide is sort of, the, the barrier has been reduced pretty significantly, and I think Booker would fare very well um, in a suburban district. That's not to say... Um, that there are parts of the state that may not react well to him, um, as he, you know, because he may be an African American candidate, um, and there are some parts of the state that may not, you know, and some voters that may not react to that. But I think that that barrier has just been reduced so significantly over the past uh, several years that I don't really see it being an issue for him. So Yitz, I, and I apologize for 
terming you a Democratic councilman. Uh, we'll uh, go with the nonpartisan label. There's nothing that, wrong with the nonpartisan, postpartisan. Give it. Give us a an idea of of TNEC, Okay, we we have we we've actually had some members of the council from Lakewood on the on the show in the past. But give us a, a rundown on on TNEC, New Jersey, which you know we know is heavily has a heavy Orthodox population. I don't know if it's majority Orthodox. Um, but uh, give, but give us an idea of, of of that, and as well as the electoral tendencies of the of the Jewish population and uh, or Teaneck in general. Well, Teaneck uh, is uh, is one of the most diverse uh, municipalities, I believe, in the entire state of New Jersey. We have uh, uh, just shy of forty thousand residents. Uh, probably uh, uh, about a third of those residents are African Americans. Probably about a third of those residents are Jewish. Uh, and uh, the rest are, you know, various. Uh, you know, we have Hispanics, uh, Latinos, uh, Asians, and, and so on and so forth. And that's, you know, it's a very, very, very diverse uh, uh, town. Probably um, uh, half of that Jewish population, approximately, is um, is Orthodox. Uh, and uh, that population certainly is growing. It's uh, now Greater Teaneck, where uh, we're in Bergenfield and New Milford are now part of the greater Teaneck community because of just the, every, the outward movement of everybody buying homes and the expansion of the local schools and schools and so on. Um, uh, uh, we have a nonpartisan form of government, as I said. Seven council members are all elected at large. Um, four, of those, uh, four of those council members um, are Orthodox. Um, we have a Muslim mayor. The mayor is chosen by the council from amongst its members. Uh, and uh, the other two council members are African Americans. Um, the uh, tendencies, uh, you know, the the uh, in, in previous years, the uh, the districts that are more heavily Orthodox tend to come out a little bit more um, uh, in numbers, or you know, in terms of percentage of uh, of, uh, of registered voters uh, voting. Um, and uh, it's you know, it's uh, Teaneck. It's it's just an exciting place to to, to live and and work and be involved politically. It's a great, great community. Okay, and I guess the conventional wisdom is that the trend amongst uh, Orthodox Jews has been to vote Republican in elections, and I'm not sure if that's you know, a given. I don't take that as a certainty. But, but, the, certainly, but certainly on the national level, yes, okay. I, would, I would say so, yeah. And uh, so would you say that Governor Christie is going to be very popular or formidable in Teaneck or in Bergen County in general? Um, well, uh, Bergen County is, uh, you know, Bergen County is uh, is, is really a, a a blue county, um, but I, you know, he did fairly well um, uh, last time. I don't think he won the county himself, but I, he certainly will fare well probably amongst the Orthodox vote. Although, you know, Teaneck is a very, uh, you know, we're we're Teaneck is used is used to voting for people less so on I believe on 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 party lines. Uh, rather on the on the individual because that's the way they're set up on the council. But uh, I mean, Teaneck is uh, it's twenty five thousand registered voters. Half of them are, unaf- are unaffiliated, and the other half are five to one Democrats. So uh, you know, it's it's hard to say uh, how Christie will fare. Um, he's done an interesting job in the state of New Jersey, but uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, he certainly is uh, he certainly is the odds on favor to certainly uh, be reelected as governor. Well, serving on the municipal council, and I think that a lot of times you have situations where if the state government is cutting, then that a lot of that will fall onto the individual municipalities to make up the difference. 
right. ha- have you seen that type of stress on your on your municipality and uh yes i mean the state uh, the state of new jersey has cut back quite a bit over the last number of years the county although the county is a very small part of uh the you know the tax dollar i mean uh uh you know the teaneck is uh, 85% single family homes uh, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, like in Paramus, we don't have a whole lot of commercial development, so to speak. We have uh, uh, Route 4 in Teaneck from Patterson to New York. Route 4 in Teaneck is the only strip of Route 4 which is not uh, commercially developed, and, and therefore it's not, there's no rateables on it. So a, a large burden falls on the uh, individual single-family homeowners. And uh, so, I mean, that's something we've been, we've been wrestling with for years and always trying to look for, for, for rateables. Um, you know, to generating more rateables in town. In the Orthodox community, obviously, uh, Orthodox uh, uh, homes tend to be uh, people come in, they buy a home, they renovate it, they add on to it, so on and so forth, and they tend to, uh, you know, a, 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 a fair proportion of the, um, of the rateables in, in terms of the uh, single-family homes are in the Orthodox communities, part of the community. Okay, so you have a situation where you're going to have a federal election, Coming up, and you and you, your feeling is that a lot of your voters might be are going to be sympathetic potentially towards Cory Booker, uh, because uh, and then you, about a couple weeks later you're going to have uh, a, a state election with uh, where the Republican would be favored, and uh, you know there's a dynamic there, I guess, and you know, I'll throw this out to both of you, uh, both you know Alex and Yitz, you know how. How is that going to play out? That's probably kind of uncharted territory as far as turnout is concerned. Well, I'm sure Alex can attest to this. I'm not a big political consultant, but there's the, there's the issue of voter fatigue. And uh, people get tired of sometimes going out to the polls, and they're going to go out to the polls in, in October and say, oh, well, you know, I voted already. Maybe I, I won't go. I don't know if that will be necessarily prevalent, and I think the governor took that into account to, a, to some extent when he made his decision to, to do what he, you know, set things up the, you know, the way they are. Alex, you want to take a stab yeah. at that one? Yeah, I'm definitely going to agree on the voter fatigue. I mean, I think, you know, something to note, um, you know, and, and this is indicative that the governor, um, the governor isn't really particularly uh, concerned about really filling the Senate seat, right? He he puts it under the guise of, you know, oh, it's price, you can't put a price on a Senate seat. It's, it's priceless. The people need a representation. Um, at the end of the day, you know, the primaries in, in New Jersey have relatively low turnout. I mean, I don't suspect uh, major turnout um, for a, a, let alone a special primary. Um, you know, like we just had a primary uh, on a Wednesday, I believe, right? It's um, going to be on a Wednesday. That, yeah, exactly. That had a, that had relatively low turnout across the state. Um, obviously, it's, it's helped by the fact that you know it's a gubernatorial year, so you have some people that come out, but. It wasn't anything um, eye-popping for the parties, respectively, the Democrats and Republicans. So let alone if you have a primary in the middle of August, you know, this is, this is certainly um, a rare instance. I think voters aren't going to understand why they've been asked to vote once, twice, three, four times in the next four months. Um, they're not really going to understand. And not only that, you have to keep, people have to keep in mind, um, you know, New Jersey has 566, I think, municipalities. Um, give or take, give or take an overwhelming one. number of them have moved their school board elections to November to be on the November ballot. Uh, so not only are these people going to be asked to participate in school board elections, some are going to be asked to participate in municipal nonpartisan elections if they've moved to November. Some are going to be asked to participate for uh, municipal partisan races, the governor's race. 
state legislative races. I mean, you literally have every elected office up on the ballot this year in New Jersey, um, minus the president of the United States and, and, and a congressional and, and, uh, and a house seat. Um, so, you know, voter fatigue is going to be a huge issue, and it's going to be a struggle uh, on both parties to really convince voters that, hey, we really need your support in October, in November, in August. You know, it's, it's going to be um, it's going to be tough. You know, you almost get the feeling every so often, and uh, it's certainly it's true in New York as well, uh, not so much in New York City, but in the suburbs and in other areas, that uh, they don't want you to vote. You know, they're, they're not the, the people in power are not that concerned with regard to low turnout because uh, it helps them. Uh, you know, uh, Yitz, as a local councilman, do you, you see any truth to that? One hundred percent. It's uh, when the, the the lower the turnout, the more the important your get your your GOTV your get out the vote operation is. And obviously, the lower the turnout, the more the the more important each and every vote is in your in your own from your own supporters. I mean, they, I mean, Alex may be able to comment on this as well. I'm not a a, a big consultant in the southern part of New Jersey, uh, but obviously there's a gentleman named Mr. Norcross who controls a fair amount of the Democratic votes down there. And I think they may they may play a very important role in the, in this whole mix, uh, you know, at the state level. Alex, yeah, uh, actually, it's a it's a great question. I you know wasn't sure I was going to get to it, but give us an idea. Who is George Norcross? I mean, he is a big player that we talk about. He's a kingmaker in New Jersey. Give us an South idea about who he is. In South well, Jersey, he's a kingmaker in South yeah, Jersey. Well, 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 a kingmaker well, in South Jersey doesn't uh, you know doesn't necessarily hurt you for the rest of the state. So. Uh, Right. Well, formerly, you know, um, George Norcross is, uh, he used to be the head of, I believe, um, what was formerly TD Bank. Um, Commerce Bank. He, when he sold that off, he now is the chairman of the board of uh, Cooper University Medical, um, the Cooper Hospital based out of Camden. Um, you know, his brother, uh, and it's the whole family. I mean, you know, George is a, is a businessman. He's a private sector guy. Um, but his brother, Donald, is a state senator representing uh, Camden County, um, and his other brother is a, uh, is a I believe he's an insurance um, or a bond attorney. So, you know, the, the family is, um, I, I would say that they are well connected. I mean, certainly the, the perception is that they control the, the Democratic Party down there, and, and to some extent they do. Um, they are the, you know, the Donald Norcross is the state senator, and he's the, um, he is the state. Uh, he is uh, the, the chairman of the Camden County Democratic Party, um, which is one of the, it's the base of the power of, of the Democratic power in South Jersey. Um, they also, you know, keep in mind they control, um, I believe, up to 11 legislative votes in the assembly, um, or rather in the assembly and the Senate. So, you know, anytime deals get made legislatively um, on the floor you need that entire delegation to go your way. Um, and by maintaining on to seven, seven legislative districts um, throughout South Jersey, I mean, you, you control a very significant number of, of the caucus. I mean, you know, the, the South, the Senate President Sweeney is the, um, is the South Jersey legislator, um, and the majority leader in the Assembly is also a South Jersey leader. So, you know, the Norcross, the, the Norcross machine, if you will, um, is really just, uh, it's, it's all South Jersey united as one delegation. Um, and obviously they're one faction of the Democratic Party in New Jersey. Um, you know, and then again you have Essex County, which is another base of power, Bergen County, 
um, Democrats, another base in power. Hudson County is another base. Um, you know, it's very factionalized. Um, but South Jersey is the only one that encompasses uh, more than one county. It's Gloucester, Camden, Cape May, Atlantic, um, you know, um, and I'm sure I'm forgetting a Sa- Salem County, obviously. I'm sure I'm forgetting one more county. But, yeah, so ultimately they, they are the, the base of the Democratic Party right now in New Jersey. Um, and they've had a friendly relationship with, uh, with Governor Christie, I think is my understanding. Yeah, I mean, they've had a very good working relationship with him. Um, you know, there's no doubt about it. I mean, obviously the Democrats control the legislature. Um, they control both houses of the legislature, both, you know, the Senate and the Assembly. So, needless to say, they're needed at the table in order to get anything done in the state house. Okay, Yitz, uh, one final question for you. I want to—we're going to have to move on to uh, another guest very soon. We have uh, Ruby Kramer waiting on the line uh, from BuzzFeed, who's been following Jersey politics uh, for for quite some time. Uh, but Yitz, give us an idea, just because uh, we ask it—we ask it very regularly. Uh, school choice issues, uh, you know, tax credits and 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 the like. Uh, in places like New Jersey, I think uh, you know the, there is an opportunity scholarship uh, out there. Scholarship Act, the OSA. Okay, uh, it's a uh, it's been watered down quite a bit, and I'm not sure where it's headed just yet. Uh, the uh, the OU, the Orthodox Union, has been very very active. Uh, Josh Brzezinski runs uh, that whole operation here in New Jersey. Uh, actually, the office is right here in Teaneck, and um, uh, has been very very active, working very very hard to educate the voters, um, not only of Teaneck, but of all the, uh, you know, uh, communities around Bergen County um, that, that have a fair, fair amount of uh, Orthodox voters. He worked very, very hard, works very, very hard. Um, it's, uh, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the Senate and the Assembly, are, it seems like uh, from a majority perspective, are not quite ready to, uh, you know, come up, you know to, to buy into this whole school choice ideas of it. There's been a lot of pushback, uh, obviously, from the teachers' union, uh, which is a very, pa- a very, very, very powerful union in the state. Uh, and uh, but you know, you know, the OU and uh, others continue to try and educate the uh, Jewish voters, people who send their kids not only Jewish, but people who send their kids to private schools, non-public schools, uh, to, uh, to to try to you know push their legislators. There was a big push at the primary this week, and I think uh, Josh was uh, somewhat successful in Teaneck. I saw some of the numbers. He brought up some of the numbers in the primary. As Alex said, you know, there's typically a very low turnout. Brought up some of those numbers as well, just to show our legislators that we actually uh, care, you know, care about voting and go to the polls and voting. So that's, that's still, I think, a, uh, uh, you know, something that's in the works, the OSA. Um, hopefully it'll get somewhere um, uh, eventually, but I, there's going to need to be a, uh, some more buy-in, uh, particularly on the, uh, on, the, uh, on the Democratic side of the capital D. Okay, Yitz Stern, a councilman from Teaneck, New Jersey, and Alex Habib, a Democratic political strategist uh, in New Jersey. Congratulations on your uh, recent victory in Jersey City. And Yitz, thank you for uh, joining us here, both of you, on Spin Class. Thank you very much. Hey, great. Thank you for having us. Appreciate it. Okay, I want to welcome Ruby Kramer. Ruby, thanks for waiting on the line. Uh, We had a very interesting discussion, uh, you know, a little bit in the weeds, as we like to do uh, on Jersey politics. But, uh, you know, tell us, since you've been following uh, Cory Booker and uh, his career for quite some time, uh, this has been a a big week uh, in Jersey politics. You must be very in demand. Thank you for having me on, first of all. Um, But, yeah, it's... It's life got a little bit crazier in the last 72 hours. Um, okay, well, welcome back. And for reporters like me who are covering him. 
Um, he really just had to move his timetable up more than a year. He's been running, uh, planning this to run this race for quite some time now, for several months. Um, he announced in December, as you know, that he would not run for governor against Chris Christie in 2013, like everybody thought that he would. He would consider, quote-unquote, running for Senate. Um, so he's been preparing for a long time, but he just got his timetable moved up quite a bit. Okay, so he's been preparing, but the timetable moved up. So is he prepared? He hasn't announced yet. I think the first person into the race today is is Representative Rush Holt. And uh, you're expecting that uh, Frank Pallone's going to get in, and then uh, who's another congressman from Central Jersey, out, um, for the Jersey Shore, I guess. And you have, uh, on the Republican side, uh, Steve Lonigan is uh, is in there, who has run before. But uh, Cory Booker is the marquee name, I guess. Uh, you know, he didn't, he declined to run for for governor, decided he was going to run for Senate, while Frank Lautenberg still hadn't decided what he was going to do. And I think uh, Lautenberg wasn't happy about it, as you told us last time you were here. So uh, is Booker, you know, is Booker going to, is, is he ready? I mean, is, is his campaign ready? Are his people ready? And, uh, you know, what is he going to do about this uh, pesky Democratic primary? Well, I think you're right in that, you know, he's been preparing for some time, but who's ready? I don't, I don't know. You know, who's ready for your for your race to be moved up a whole year? I think in terms of what I've heard from their campaign is that in terms of everything you can possibly think of, whether it's staffing, fundraising, um, building organization, everything is just obviously accelerated now, extremely so. Um, I mean, they just kind of started staffing up. They just started building their campaign infrastructure. He's obviously still mayor of New York, um, has about 400 days left in City Hall. So he has an entire City Hall staff, but he was just beginning to build up his campaign side of staff. So he just recently hired a communications director um, and a finance director. Um, He's got someone running communications who used to work for the Obama campaign in 2008, and he has um, a finance director who is doing national Democratic fundraising with some of the, the national committees. Um, before she moved over to Booker's team, so they they were starting to build that infrastructure. I think they're gonna you're gonna start to hear more um, uh, on that on that on that side of things. He's gonna start hiring more. You'll start to hear more fundraisers. Um, you know, it's funny because everyone thinks that he's the the front runner, um, and, and recent polls say that he is. But um, Congressman Pallone actually has much more money in the bank right now than Mayor Booker does. Okay, I heard two things from our guests before that I'll just and I'm not sure at what point you joined uh, you joined the listening to the conversation. But one thing I heard from Alex Habib is that the that Booker has cross appeal. It's not just uh, despite the fact that Jersey politics is is fractured in many ways, or Democratic Jersey politics is is New Jersey politics are fractured between the different counties, South North. Uh, Essex County, Bergen County, all the different uh, all the different fiefdoms within the Democratic primary um, is that Booker might have some cross appeal. But on the other hand, uh, the other, I think, important point, and you know, I'm sure they're probably related, is that, you know, there, there's just all kinds of different bosses to deal with. Um, you know, it's not just that, you know, the, the different uh, people in the race and the personalities, but there are really just totally entrenched interests within uh Democratic politics, and uh, they don't necessarily uh, go the same way. And they, they... Yeah, absolutely. I think that the party bosses in New Jersey are incredibly important, um, and 
Mayor Booker has always been the kind of politician, the kind of person in general who's not afraid to do things differently and step out of this kind of, you know, state party apparatus if he needs to. I mean, that's certainly what he did. I think most people would say when he announced in December that he would run for Frank Lautenberg's seat before Senator Lautenberg had even announced that he wanted to retire at the end of his fifth term. So that rattled a few, you know, cages and um, I don't think people will forget that very quickly. But then again, um, Mayor Booker has some pretty good relationships uh, with some of the big names in New Jersey. I mean, he's reportedly he reportedly has a good relationship with the Essex County boss, for example. So I don't think that he has a bad relationship with these guys. Um, but I think that he'll have to do some outreach. You know, I've heard that the other campaigns, um, you know, the other campaigns from Pallone, from the Holt and the Pallone side, have already been reaching out directly to these people, and I haven't heard that yet about the mayor's team. So that'll be something interesting to watch. He'll really have to kind of, like, get into the weeds, like you're saying, of New Jersey state politics and kind of ingratiate himself to these people, I believe. And that's not the way he's run in the past. He's kind of run as a reformer, kind of being above that to to a large degree. So Exactly. How, so will that take him, at, take him down a peg in, in certain people's minds, or that will... Or is that just the cost of doing business? I don't know if voters will. I don't know if voters really pay attention to this stuff as much as people like us do. But you know, I think there's something to be said about the fact that basically part of Cory Booker's appeal is that he's. Um, I think he's seen as this person who's not afraid to challenge the status quo. He's not afraid to speak out on certain things. I mean, if you think about his races, even his first city council race, he went up against. Um, a long-standing incumbent, and then of course he ran against Newark Mayor Sharp James twice and beat him the second time. And Sharp James is this guy who just was was there for decades. Um, and so Mayor Booker's kind of gotten—I don't know—he's he, built his career in way in a way on um, being able to challenge kind of these these people who are so entrenched in the tradition of New Jersey politics. But but I think, and I and I, I wonder how much that'll actually play out, especially now that the timetable is so shrunken down, um, like how much he'll actually have to kind of go around wooing different people in the state. But but I do know that like a, a person like a Congressman Pallone has has really good relationships with these people that that I don't think really rival Booker's relationship. So I'm interested to see how important it is. Okay, well, at least they're having a primary. I think there was some talk uh, of potential that there might not actually be a primary, that the party insiders would be the ones who would choose the Democratic nominee. Right, and I think that was – I heard that as well, um, gearing up towards these announcements, um, and there will be a primary. Um, We're able to have that primary on August 13th, which is a Tuesday, and then the generals on October 16th. So, so yeah, there was talk that that like the part, the county bosses would be able to like pick the the nominee. That's not going to happen. I mean, and, and Governor Christie was pretty clear that that voters would get the chance to vote in a primary. Okay, so you reported today that a large uh, progressive super PAC is going to be supporting Booker, and uh, I think that kind of plays into his narrative of a national appeal. Is I think it was said earlier that he kind of Obama-esque, maybe transcendent figure, you know, that he might see himself as, uh, you know, is that 
is that going to happen, that all this national money is going to come in? Why are national progressive groups going to take sides in a Democratic primary? Right. I mean, I, this PAC, um, it's, it's a group called PAC Plus, which is kind of a national group, and they've, um, they focus on progressive candidates of color. Um, and they announced, we broke the news today that um, they'd be starting a project called Help Corey, uh, called, um, called Help Corey Win, which is, I think, a very straightforward title. Um, but they're, they're, they're planning on making it a $1 to $2 million project, and that's no small change um, at all. So, um, you know, we'll see how much that – the money certainly will help. We'll see how much other national groups come out and weigh in, like you said, on a, on a, on a Democratic primary. I'm not so sure that they'll get in at that point, but I do fully expect that if Mayor Booker becomes the Democratic nominee for this race – there will be more national support. I mean, definitely. Um, the other thing about this is that is that you know, like you said, Mayor Booker is thought of as kind of some kind of successor to the to the Obama era. Um, what how that would play out in a policy, you know, in terms of policy, I don't think we're quite sure yet because we haven't really gotten a chance to see what Mayor Booker thinks about a whole host of issues. Because he's the mayor of Newark and. You know, why would we know what the mayor of Newark thought about, like, for example, I don't know, Chuck Hagel or something like that. So we'll see. Well, we um, do know that he had some unorthodox views for a big city Democrat. For example, he's for school choice and right. he has been uh, antagonistic might be the wrong word, but certainly has feuded with some of the municipal unions. Yes. Uh, so he has certainly he's certainly not your machine Democrat. No, not at all. I mean, he has he has a lot of backing from kind of like the, the Manhattan hedge fund world. He's very pro charter schools. Um, that's an interesting thing to be looking at. Um, I he, think he might I not think, get the uh, endorsement of the New Jersey Education Association. I think that there you the go. Teachers union. There you go. Right. And yeah, I mean, you can't expect the teachers union to come out and really be that supportive of him. So, so, so they're big we'll players in the primary. There are certain weak points that he has. I don't think that he's a shoo-in to win this at all. I think that there are ways that we you could see a Frank Pallone beat a Cory Booker, as improbable as that sounds, given that the most recent polling we have shows Booker literally at 50% of the vote with Pallone at 4% of the vote. But I think that I don't think it's Cory Booker's race to win. I think they it's going to be a tough fight. Let's talk for a second about the, as it was described earlier, the political genius of Chris Christie in in this <laughs> entire episode. Okay, you have to admire, and I heard it from two Democrats before, uh, this begrudging admiration of Chris Christie, you know, pulling off what can be called a political coup here in taking a pretty thorny and tough situation and making it work for him quite well. Yeah, I have to hand it to him. Christie got the best outcome for himself and managed to make a pretty good case for it too. I mean, the the entire idea that there had to be a special election three weeks before his own reelection that couldn't have just been on the general ballot. I mean, it's a little ridiculous when you consider how much it costs. I've seen estimates as high as twenty four million and as and you know, only as low as twelve million. Um, but he when he gets up there at a press conference and says if you know, it's not right to wait on this um, like, I can see how voters and, you know, political observers would say that that's a fair argument. 
Can we uh, just cross the pond for for a second, across the river, I yeah. should say? Okay, so you have also been covering a mayoral candidate who seems to be very popular on the show. <laughs> we, we talk about him just about every week, but, of course, it's it's always so interesting. And I think uh, one one uh, tweet of yours that caught my caught my uh, eye the other day was that yeah. Anthony Weiner is bored, B-O-R-E-D, <laughs> yeah. at a mayoral debate. Yes. Okay. He... he has been he so he jumped in obviously two weeks ago. He's been going to these forums, these debates, these New York mayoral debates that happen pretty much pretty much every night, um, if not every other night. I mean, they they happen quite frequently, and it's like at a different community in a different borough with a different moderator and the same candidates on the stage. And this they they had one um, earlier this week at uh, a law firm in the city core building. Um, Kirkland and Ellis. And he just looked so bored. He was like glancing around the room, like not really listening, like checking his Blackberry under the table like several times. Um, So, yeah, he just didn't seem too interested. He was slouching. And reporters gave him a really hard time about it. So the next night at the next forum, he was standing up straight, looking very attentive. So at least, you know, at least he's reading what people are writing out there. I think his response was, "You admit it, you were bored too." Yes, he looked at it was. A, it was. I was there with like maybe three or four other reporters, and I think I asked him. I said, "Like, do you even like doing these forums?" And he was like, "Yes, of course I, I like them." He's like, "But, but, you know, I wasn't bored. Uh, you looked even more bored. You should have seen yourself." And he was like, "You were bored too," um, you know. But that's part of. That's. That's kind of part of his his charm that you know many people have pointed out already is like he's he'll tell you like he'll tell it like it is and and he'll he's not afraid to kind of like have a freewheeling candid conversation with a, a voter or a reporter, um, which makes him likable. I mean, he doesn't shy away from these kinds of questions either, how, however silly or kind of scrutinizing they are. I mean, last night I was at an event where he was basically like screamed at about his. Um, Twitter scandal thing by a voter at a Democrats endorsement meeting in Williamsburg in Brooklyn. And like he, he handled the conversation really well. I thought, I mean, in terms of kind of just like being willing to engage with it totally candidly and just saying like, look, if you don't think that I'm qualified because of this thing that happened, then don't vote for me. Um, So I think that he fully expects that he's going to be asked a whole range of questions and is definitely going to have the spotlight on him. And I do give him credit for being willing to take every question and answer fairly candidly. Do you think you learned from Chris Christie to a certain degree? I mean, that was, you know, Chris Christie classic YouTube is, uh, you know, was kind of, okay, if you don't agree with me, fine. You know, that's, that's, uh, you know, are voters looking for that type of uh, brusque, uh, Type of behavior, you know, take it or leave it. Is that the new, you know, is the, is that the new style that people are embracing? Maybe. I mean, it's definitely a totally apt comparison. I think they're very similar in styles. Um, and I think in terms of New York specifically, I think voters really want kind of like a larger than life personality, someone that they can, you know, love, but also maybe love to hate. I, I don't know. I think that there's, you know, they're looking for someone who's got that kind of no-nonsense charm to them. And that's cer- certainly something that Christie has, no matter what you think of his politics. Um, I mean, that's why he has so much Democratic support, I think, in part. Um, 
so, yeah, I, I can see that as being kind of like a new brand of, of politics. It's certainly refreshing over Washington, D.C., Congress. I mean, where you feel like no one will do anything, let alone say anything that they actually believe in or care about, you know? Okay, we're here with Ruby Kramer from BuzzFeed Politics. And one last question, Ruby, as uh, we uh, head into the twilight here. Um, <laughs> one name that we have yet to mention the entire time, and of course I asked the question, so I'll have to take blame for not having mentioned her the entire time. But nobody from pretty much uh, in this entire discussion of Jersey politics has mentioned Barbara Bruno. And uh, and uh, is she the forgotten person in this entire in, in this entire narrative, is it kind of just assumed, okay, not only is she over, overshadowed by Chris Christie and his immense personality and popularity, but is she also now overshadowed by this multi-pronged Democratic primary that's going to shape up as a, as a very significant political event in New Jersey? I really, really believe that this, this uh, special election is not going to help her. I mean, like you said, and I, I think I caught this on the tail end of, of your last uh, segment with your last guest, like voters can't be expected to come out on, you know, August, October, and November. It's hard. I mean, we just had an election last year, too. I mean, but also, it's a confusing situation. Like, there's a lot going on, and no one's, it doesn't help that no one's heard of Barbara Bono. Um, so they'll come out and vote for Cory Booker, who they have heard of. I mean, I, I have, I spent some time on her campaign trail. She's really, um, I think she's a compelling candidate for a Democrat, um, for a Democratic voter. She, like, knows her stuff. She's extremely experienced. Um, she's been in the state leg- legislature for many, many years and, you know, checks off the box in terms of, like, what a progressive or Democratic voter would look like. And, of course, New Jersey is still a blue state. So you'd think that she would be gaining a little bit more traction at this point, but really we haven't seen that yet, and I don't think this is going to help. Okay, Ruby Kramer from BuzzFeed, thank you once again for enlightening us about New Jersey politics, and we hope to have you again uh, as the political, as the multi-date political season in New Jersey evolves. <laughs> Thanks a lot, I appreciate it. This is Spin Class, sponsored by Seasons, and uh, we're about to close out the show, but I would be remiss if not to mention that uh, tonight is Judith's last show. So, uh, Judith... Uh, Plugging away on the Twitter feed right now, uh, Judith has now graduated from Stern College, and uh, she is headed to Washington, D.C. So, uh, Judith, do you want to give any farewells to the audience out there? I told you I was going to put you on the air, Judith. You have to. I didn't know it would be quite on the spot like that. On the spot. I'd like to thank, uh, I think, to thank you for this opportunity. It's been, it's been really fun, especially for me to learn a lot about New York politics and tonight, especially about New Jersey politics. I really didn't know the ins and outs quite that much considering I'm from the West Coast, but I've really enjoyed it and it's been a really, it's been a blast. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you, Judith, really for joining us. And hopefully we're going to, you know, have another, uh, a uh, slew of L.A. interns over the next uh, couple months. Uh, so hopefully uh, furnished by Judith. And uh, <laughs> good luck with Senator Jill Moran's down Thank in you. D.C. And uh, we are out of time. Thank you very much for joining us. This is another edition of Spin Class Under Wraps. And tune in next week. Stay tuned for the Thursday night extravaganza hosted by exec- Executive Assistant of Rummy.